Let's give it up for all of our moms again today. Bless the Lord. Better than that, all of our moms, stand to your feet really quickly. We want to just, I know we've already recognized you. We'll never be able to recognize you enough. Look at all of our moms today. Let's thank them for all that they do. Amen. Bless the Lord. Bless God. Ladies, you may be seated. You know, at some point, every follower of Christ will have to overcome the offense of the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to lay hold of what they desperately need from the Lord. Let me say that again because it's important and I do believe it. At some point in every follower of Jesus Christ's life, they will have to overcome the offense of the gospel in order to lay hold of what they desperately need from the Lord. There are no two ways about it. The gospel is offensive. And I know that even that is offensive, but that is the truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive. As wonderful, as life-giving, as life-changing, as transformational as the gospel of Jesus Christ is, its contents, if you please, are highly offensive. Maybe the Bible should come with a label that says, warning, contents highly offensive, though highly transformational. And so in order for any of us to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will eventually have to overcome offense. And that's the way it has always been. That is not a recent development. There are political men and women today that would love for you and I to believe that the gospel was always a very highly acceptable message and that it's only been recently in the highly political times that we live in that Jesus has been turned into an offensive figure by those who are old-fashioned, if you will. And nothing can be further from the truth. If you read the Gospels, you will find that from the moment Jesus stepped onto this planet from heaven, he was a highly offensive individual. I remember in John chapter 6, Jesus is now speaking to a multitude of disciples. You know, when we think of disciples, we think of only the 12. But the reality is, at one point, there were in excess of 10, possibly 15, maybe as high as 20,000 men and women that were following Jesus on a regular basis until finally, in John 6, Jesus puts his foot down and he says from this day forward if you're going to have any part of me you're going to have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood what Jesus was saying is this is the cost of discipleship if any man is going to come after me they're going to have to deny themselves take up their cross and follow me and they began to turn to one another and they said this is a hard saying who can hear this And Jesus, the Bible tells us, knew in himself that the disciples were complaining about this. And he said to them in John 6, does this offend you? From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. 
In Romans chapter 9 and verse 33, John, uh, or excuse me, Paul, writing of Jesus, said, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. He says, Yes, it is true that whoever believes upon Christ will not be put to shame, but in order to believe upon him first, you have to step over the stumbling stone and the rock of offense. And no wonder Jesus said of himself in Luke 7 and verse 23, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. You may remember Jesus even said, you think I came to bring peace, but the reality is I came to bring a sword. I brought a message that is actually going to divide homes, that is going to divide marriages, that is going to divide parental relationships. Because most people are not going to want to submit themselves to a gospel that cuts right across the selfish grain that is in our world today. And so I can stand here today and I can tell you that there will be times in all of our journey with the Lord where we will come to Him desperate for His touch, desperate for His intervention within our lives. But I will tell you right now that what He will require of us in that hour, what He will say to us, what He will lead us to do in those early moments in many cases will be so offensive that it will be shocking to us. And in that moment, you're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to rise above the offense that I feel right now to lay hold of what I desire from the Lord? Or will I walk away in my offense and miss out on all that God has for my life? That is true even of salvation. You may remember that Jesus, uh, that Paul, speaking of the cross of Jesus Christ, said that the message of the cross is offensive to some, foolishness to others, and therefore men and women reject it, not willing to overcome the foolishness and the offensiveness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they leave behind the only hope of reconciliation with God that has been provided. To me, it is absolutely stunning, shocking, uh, that there are men and women who would rather spend eternity in hell separated from God because they're not willing to get over the offense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is shocking to me. And at some point, if you want eternal life, you have to overcome your offended self if you're going to enter into the kingdom of Almighty God. But that is true of anything in life. That is true of, of any thing that we want from the Lord because everything that we receive from the Lord is going to come with a gospel that initially is offensive. And so at some point you as a believer are going to have to accept the fact that if I'm going to lay hold of anything that God has for me, I have got to be willing to overcome when I am offended by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to talk about with you today. So I want to share with everyone that need of overcoming the offense of the gospel. But mom, believe it or not, I'm actually speaking to you. And I know some of you are thinking, my goodness, what a terrible message on Mother's Day. But it really is more of an uplifting message than you might think. Mom, I, I want to talk to you today about being a mega mom. How many of you want to be a mega mom? 
Some of you are not knowing whether you want to raise your hand because you're like, I need a little more information. I don't know what that means. What, do, what does it mean to be a mega mom? You know, I, I was reading an article that appeared on January 15th on the website Motherly. And it was estimated there that stay-at-home moms in today's economy, taking into account all that a stay-at-home mom does, and based on a 96-hour work week, would earn $162,581 a year. Some of you moms are reconsidering your career path right now. Unfortunately, your husband would have to be paying that. It does give you a little idea, though, of all that moms do. A 96-hour work week would be the average work week of a stay-at-home mom, and that is including, again, all of the responsibilities that she has. I believe it is impossible to fully appreciate the significant impact that moms in particular have, not only on their children, but their husbands, their home, their family, their their community, and even the world that they live in. But a Christian mother, boy, watch out. I'm telling you, a Christian mom who possesses great and strong faith in her Father in heaven becomes a powerful tool in the hands of Almighty God. And with a godly mom, I believe that God can do amazing things in the earth. In Jesus' mighty name. Can I hear a good amen today? I believe that. And I see that in a very unlikely mom whose story is often overlooked on Mother's Day. And yet within her story, I believe, are some wonderful, wonderful characteristics of a mega mom. And so if you will, I'd like you to turn with me this morning to the gospel according to Matthew. This is Matthew's account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And we're going to go to Matthew chapter 15, beginning with verse number 21. Matthew 15, beginning with verse 21. It says, Then Jesus went out from there, Israel, and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And then Jesus answered and he said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered and said to her, O woman. And that is not a derogatory statement. That is a term of endearment that Jesus used. O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very moment. What a powerful and somewhat confusing story this really is. 
And some of you are saying, well, Pastor Kurt, I'm reading this along with you. And I'm just wondering, where did you come up with this title, Mega Mom? Well, it's right there in Jesus' assessment of this mom's faith. He says again, woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. Now, we have heard Jesus talk about little faith. We have heard Jesus in the past talk about those who have no faith. But this is one of two times that Jesus said, great is your faith. O woman, great is your faith. And great in the Greek language is where we get our English word, mega. He's saying, woman, mega is your faith. You have mucho faith. You have great faith. You have much faith. Mega is the faith that this woman has. And so what I would like to do for just a couple of moments, and I'm not going to keep you long here today. I know we have a lot of plans for our moms today. But what I'd like to do in the time that we have is to share with you some of the qualities that are found in mega faith. And I want you to know that this is accessible to all of you. Because even though a lot of my comments today are going to be directed toward mom, the reality is this is for moms and dads. This is for sons and daughters, men and women, married and single. Because how many of you know all of us need mega faith? We need mucho faith to live in the world that we are living in today in Jesus' mighty name. All right, let's get into this. To fully appreciate the significance of the story that we just read, you first have to understand the controversy surrounding the fact that Matthew said Jesus went from Israel and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. This means that for a very brief time, Jesus entered into the Twin Cities, and it represents the first time, at least as far as Matthew is concerned, that Jesus will step out of Israel and enter into Gentile region of Tyre and Sidon, and reminds us in that time that Jesus is the Savior of the whole world, Jews and Gentiles alike. How many of you are thankful that He is a Savior to the whole world in His mighty name? Now, Tyre and Sidon would be north of Israel, about 80 miles, and would be our modern-day Lebanon. So if you were looking at a map and you saw Lebanon, that is the region that Jesus went into. It was controversial not only because it was a Gentile region, but also because a woman approached him, which was strictly forbidden and taboo in that day. But she wasn't just any woman. The Bible says she was a Canaanite woman. And if you know anything about Bible history, you know that Canaanites and Israelites were mortal enemies. It was the Canaanites who were dwelling in the promised land when Israel went in to take that land for the glory of God. And they were commanded to get all of the Canaanites out. They didn't. And they became a stumbling block to Israel for the rest of their time in that land. But the reason that they were to get rid of them, and why in Deuteronomy chapter 7, God strictly forbade the marrying of Jewish men with Canaanite women, is because they were particularly an idolatrous people, and God knew that if they married their daughters, they would draw their heart away from serving God to serving false God. And that is a reminder to every one of us that we are not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We need to be careful about who we're marrying. 
who we're dating, who we're even friends with. Because the tendency is to pull your heart away from the living God to serve even the gods of your own heart and desire in Jesus' name. But I am so thankful that we have Jesus departing Israel to go to this region. Jesus was not interested in man-made borders and man-made barriers. He went to where men and women needed hope again in Jesus' name. And how many of you are glad that one day Jesus broke through the barriers between heaven and this earth and came to a world filled with idolatry and self-worship to save whosoever will. Can I get a little more personal? How many of you are thankful that one day Jesus pushed through the barriers and of sin and rebellion that you built in order not only to find you and save you, but to set your feet upon the rock, Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. How many of you are glad He came looking for you today in Jesus' name? God demonstrated His love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let's give the Savior of the world praise again in Jesus' name. So what I want you to see here this morning is that this was, for all intent and purposes, no easy encounter. Jesus not only had to push through barriers, but even this woman had to push through barriers. She had to push through the gender barriers, the political barriers. She had to push through the racial barriers, religious barriers, social barriers, historical barriers. But she did. The Bible says that this woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. And it's here that I see this first uh, quality of mega faith, and that is that mega faith is perceptive. Mega faith is perceptive. In other words, one that possesses mega faith perceives things with a spiritual eye that the natural, the physical eye cannot detect. Remember here that this is not just an ordinary woman. This is a very ungodly woman who had been steeped in idolatrous worship. Remember, the Canaanites were incredibly idolatrous. And so she had no real exposure to the gospel, if you will, of the Old Testament. Steeped in idolatrous worship, all she knew were the idols that she had served from her youth. And yet, coming to Jesus, she immediately perceived some incredible truths about him. Be careful not to overlook the cry. Her very first words to Jesus were, have mercy on me. Now, you know what? We don't really grasp how important that was because, let's be honest, we throw mercy around all the time. We use it casually most of the time. In fact, how many times a day do you hear someone say, Lord, have mercy? I mean, we have all said that. I mean, even when there's a bad trade in the NFL, we'll say, Lord, have mercy on that team. I mean, we just throw it around. But this was an incredible statement of faith to an ungodly woman. She immediately perceived that she had no right in being in the presence of Jesus. She immediately recognized that there was something different about Jesus Christ, something even unique. And so she immediately cries out, Lord, have mercy. She immediately perceived that every act of God toward man is an act of mercy and an act of grace. 
She doesn't come to Jesus making any demands of Him. She does not come quoting Old Testament scriptures in order to order her own world. Instead, she cries out with a loud and urgent but a reverent cry, Have mercy on me. There is even a kiss of the fear of God as she says, Have mercy upon me. Because she realizes, I have no right to be here. I know that I have no place here. And I'm asking you to show mercy. Can I just stand and tell you this morning that everything God does for us, from salvation to healing, from the restoration of marriage to the reconciliation of a family, is an act of God's grace and of God's mercy. I think that somehow the church has gotten a little cocky through the years, and we think that we have a right to be in the presence of God. I'm going to tell you the only thing we have a right to is eternal judgment. We have no right to be in the presence of Almighty God. The very fact that we are there is a testimony of not being good men and women, but the great goodness and mercy of the living God Almighty. Can somebody give God the praise for that in Jesus' name? Every movement of God toward man is an act of grace and mercy. We do not deserve God's touch or His intervention in our hearts and our lives. And how it must grieve the heart of God when we make demands of Him. Or we try to force His hand by quoting Scripture to Him as if He didn't know what He had written by His Holy Spirit. Or we even use manipulative statements like, If you love me, then you'll answer my prayer. And if you don't answer my prayer, then I don't know how I could ever trust you in the future. That's not faith at all. That's just arrogance. Can I tell you that faith presumes upon nothing but the loving and merciful heart of our Father in Heaven. I'm going to tell you over the last 20 years of my life, I have seen my prayer life explode when I stopped making demands of God and I just came in and said, Lord, have mercy upon me. He's a good God and His mercy endures forever. In Jesus' name, can somebody give God all the praise? Bless His name. But she also perceives that Jesus is not just a healer or just a deliverer or a savior, but she identifies him as Lord and even the Messiah calling him Son of David. Now, Son of David is a very well-known title for the long-awaited Messiah. And so again, a woman who knew nothing about Old Testament theology, if you will, and idolatry immediately with her faith in Christ perceives that not only is every act of God an act of mercy, but she also recognizes I'm standing in the presence of the Lord and he is Messiah. So she comes saying, Lord, not only do I need mercy in this hour, but I am ready to submit myself to the Lordship and the authority of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. I'm going to tell you, that's important because it's amazing to me, the men and women who will run to church and run to Jesus when they have a need, whether it be a physical need, a financial need, a relational need, there's a need. And they know they got to run to church, they got to run to Jesus, and they'll make their requests be known to Almighty God, but they have no intention of surrendering their life to the Lordship of Jesus. 
And through the years, I mean, it's grieved my heart. But I'll tell you, over the last 23 years, I have seen men and women that have come and knocked on my door or on the other pastor's door. They've showed up in church and said, all hell is breaking loose in my life. And if something doesn't change, I'm going to lose my wife. I'm going to lose my husband. I'm going to lose my kids. I'm ready to do everything. And then God, I have seen, intervene supernaturally in their lives. And I don't see them again because they wanted something from God, but they did not want to bow their knee to God folks that is not how God intends it to be and and we cannot presume upon that when we come to him we need to come not only acknowledging that he is the Savior but you are going to be my Lord I'm going to surrender my life to you and this Canaanite mom's eyes were open So she came not looking just for a miracle, but also willing to surrender to the miracle worker. It is an amazing thought. And this is the point that I'm going to take the longest time with. But I just want you to see that her faith caused her to have perception. She saw beyond Jesus and she saw who he was and what he was capable of doing in her life. And that was given by God. Do you remember when... Jesus came to the disciples one day and he asked them, who do you say that I am? And immediately Peter spoke up and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But do you remember what Jesus said in response to that declaration? He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. He said, you know, you've arrived at the right conclusion. I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. But flesh and blood did not reveal this. You didn't figure this out on your own. No man taught you this. This was given to you by the Father because you had faith in me. And I'm going to stand here today and tell you folks that when you have mega faith, then you are going to see beyond what your natural eyes can perceive. You're going to have revelation from Almighty God. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 that the things of God cannot be understood with the natural mind. That in the natural mind it's considered foolishness. These things are spiritually discerned. And that's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. We do not make our decisions based upon what we see, but rather we make our decisions based upon what we know that no weapon ever formed against us can ever prosper because if God is for us ain't no one can be against us in Jesus mighty name can somebody give God the praise for that If this woman only looked at Jesus in her physical eyes, she would have seen a 32-year-old son that was raised in a carpenter's home in a city of Nazareth that had such a bad reputation at that time, it was often said nothing good could ever come out of that city. If all she did was look at Jesus with her physical eyes, she would have been looking at a young man who'd be hanging on a cross in less than a year. But by faith, she saw a miracle worker, the fever lifter, the dead raising, the demon casting, the sin forgiving, eternal life giving son of the living God Almighty. That's what mega faith has. Mega faith perceives that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ever ask or think in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, somebody give God the praise if you believe that this morning. In Jesus' name. 
Secondly, mega faith is purposed. Mega faith is purposed. Uh, when I say purposed, it, it, it's more than just coming with a purpose. It's, it's the idea that, that I am passionate about it, that this is a sense of urgency. It is purposed. The scripture that immediately comes to my mind, though it's not on the screen, but I, I think of what James said in James chapter 5. He said, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It's more than just a lifting up prayer from a righteous heart. It's being fervent about it. It's, it's the idea of not backing down and, and being passionate. I am desperate for God to move. Mega faith is purpose. She cried out and said, Jesus, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. This was her pressing, urgent need. And this mother had come to a place where she realized that no one else, nothing else would or could help her. What she needed was Jesus. He was the only one that could help her. And I'm going to tell you, at various times in all of our lives, we are going to be facing issues where money cannot bail us out. Where who we know is not going to be able to bear out what we need. We need Jesus to move. How many of you right now are facing an issue where if Jesus does not intervene, no one else is going to be able to help you out of it? And that's where she was. She came to Jesus and said, Listen, I've got other gods and i got idols in my house. But there are none of them that can help me. My daughter is demon-possessed. Her daughter was not just demon-possessed. The Bible said she was severely demon-possessed. Which means that not only was she possessed, but the possession had reached a critical mass where literally there was not one moment of this little girl's life where she was not being vexed and tormented by this demonic spirit. I just want to say this. If you are a mom, if you are a dad, if you are a grandmother, a grandfather, I might even extend it to an aunt or an uncle, depending on how close your relationship would be with your niece or your nephew, I would tell you right now that if you are in any of those positions, you can identify with this mom today. Because even though your children may not be demon-possessed, although sometimes you're thinking, they got to be, okay? <laughs> all right, but e- even if they are not, we've all been in this place because all of us as parents have been through the sleepless nights. We've all spent nights praying and worried and trusting that our children are going to be okay. We've grieved over even their spiritual condition and maybe they're not living for the Lord or maybe they're not where they need to be with Christ. All of us know that there is very little that concerns us as parents more than the spiritual condition of our sons and our daughters. You know what is frightening here and truly frightening is that the word daughter in the Greek means little girl. It's important to understand that he's not talking about a teenage girl here. He's not talking about a middle-aged woman. This is a little girl who is severely demon-possessed. And it should be a warning shot for every parent here to know how important it is for you to provide a spiritual covering for your children as long as you possibly can. Knowing this, that in a wicked, evil, and even demonic culture as ours is today, 
that every single moment of their young life, they are coming in contact with evil, wicked, unclean, demonic spirits. They are on the screens. They are on the movie screens. They are on TV screens. They are on their iPhone screens. Every single day they are coming in contact with evil demonic spirits. Come on, wake up church today. I want you to know we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, rulers of the darkness of this age and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Folks, it's no more a time for us to just play around We are in warfare in this hour. And we had better know how to fight a good fight in Jesus' name. Something terrible had taken place. Some demonic attack. We're not given any of the details. But this little girl at some point became demon-possessed and was severely tormented and vexed by her every single day. And some of you say, well, that's not fair. Well, whoever accused the devil of fighting fair? I mean, seriously, he has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. And the earlier he can start, the better it off it is for him. I'm going to tell you, folks, you've got to wake up. You've got to know what your kids are watching. You've got to know what your kids are doing on the Internet. You've got to know because there is spiritual warfare going on. But thank God this little girl had a mom whose faith was purpose and she was determined, I'm going to touch Jesus Christ today. And if you're a man or a woman of faith, you're determined, urgent, and you will intercede with great passion for your children, but all spiritual matters because you know that what I need, only Jesus can provide in His mighty name. Come on, give Him praise. Watch this. She comes with everything to Jesus, but he answered her not a word. <laughs> what do you do when God is silent? What do you do when you pray and it feels like the heavens have turned to brass and the silence? in this condition just worsens. I mean, it gets really bad. Like, if it wasn't bad enough that Jesus completely ignores her, the disciples came and they urged Jesus saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. Basically, they're saying, she's an annoyance. She's a distraction. Get her out of here. You ever noticed that when you're going through a struggle, when you're going through a battle, when things are not working out the way that you had hoped and when your prayer life seems so dry that there's no shortage of the religious crowd that comes out starting making all their accusations of sin in your life or a lack of faith. Isn't it amazing how we pounce on people in their darkest struggles and battles? It just grieves my heart. But Jesus seems to interrupt this and and, and just kind of doesn't like where this is all going. And he speaks up and he says, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel first. That is my first priority. Now, that is true. There's no doubt about it. I just don't know how comforting that was to this mom. She has just been told, yeah, I can help you, but you're not my priority. 
I have been sent to the lost sheep of Israel first. Your time is coming, but not now. Now my priority are the lost sheep of Israel. (laughs) Have you ever felt like God was answering everybody else's prayer, but not yours? I mean, seriously, have you ever felt like everyone else was God's priority and you were just chopped liver? I mean, I just... Am I the only one that ever felt like God was answering everybody else's prayer? That God was healing everybody else? God was saving everybody else's kids? Am I the only one that ever felt like God is saving all of those people, but He's completely ignoring me? What I am simply saying is that there was enough that happened in about a five-minute span that should have offended this mom so that she left and never came back. But watch what happens next. She came and worshipped him. She said, Lord, help me. But he answered and he said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, Let's just deal with this really quickly, okay? This is probably not as offensive as we might want it to be. Okay, she did get called a little dog, but what is a little dog? What is a little dog? A puppy. And that literally is what it meant in the Greek language. Now, puppies are welcomed in your home. You love puppies. You cuddle with puppies. You play with puppies. So it wasn't quite as offensive as sometimes we think. He wasn't just saying you're a dog. He, like he, what he was saying is basically this. It's not right for me to take food that was prepared for my children and give it to the puppies. But again, I don't know how comforting that was. But all I know is that she turned to him and said, yeah, Lord, that's true. But even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Like this lady is not going to take no for an answer. I mean, she can't get offended. And it reminds me that mega faith is persistent. That mega faith will not give up no matter what. I mean, there was enough to offend her. She cries out to Jesus. He ignores her. She cries out a little more. The disciples falsely accuse her. She cries out a little more. He says, you're not my priority. Israel is. She cries out a little more. And he says, it's not right for me to take food for my children and give it to the little puppies here. And instead of getting angry and offended and stomping off, she just says, Jesus, I'm not going to stop praising you. I'm not going to keep, I'm not going to stop worshiping you because I know that even puppies once in a while get a crumb that falls from the master's table. She was not going to give up. You know what she was saying? She's saying, I believe that just one little crumb from Jesus Christ is enough to send every demon in hell running for its very life in Jesus' mighty name. Maybe she heard of that woman with the issue of blood who said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be set free. I'm going to tell you, we don't need a heavy touch from God. All we need is a kiss from heaven and it will change our lives in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, somebody give God the praise in this house in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. 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 
Bless his name. Faith. Mega faith is persistent. It won't take no for an answer. I'm just going to keep seeking the face of God. You know, I think of Job. Many of you know the story of Job. He lost everything he had, even his children, in one moment of time. Literally, the events happened simultaneously. And the only reason that there was separation is that it took the servants a little time to get there to tell him what had happened. He lost everything. The wealthiest man went to the poorest man in one moment of time. And yet when it was all over, he lifted up his hands and he said, The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. No sooner did that happen than he found himself with boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. And, and his wife looked at him as he sat in a garbage dump, scraping his sores with broken pottery and said, why don't you just curse God and die? And he says, you don't know what you're talking about. Can I accept blessing from the Lord and not adversity? And in all of this, he would not sin against God. He said, I don't know what God is up to, but I'm not giving up. Faith is persistent in Jesus' name. And in Job 13, he says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job 19, he says, I know my Redeemer lives, and he will stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I'll see God. He said, you know what? The worst thing that can happen to me on this planet is my body is consumed. But that's all right, because in the end, I'm going to be standing with Almighty God. I'm not backing down. Can I hear an amen? I got to tell you, I feel like preaching this morning. Come on, folks. I, I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were told, if you don't bow down, you're going to be thrown into this fiery furnace. But the Bible says that they looked at that king and said, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and He'll deliver us from your hand, O king. But, oh, I love that but. But... If not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. What they just said is our God is able to deliver us from this furnace. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. We're going to keep trusting our God because faith perseveres in Jesus' mighty name. Yes, there are going to be times when God is silent. There are going to be times when His Word cuts like a knife. There are going to be times when you do everything right, but you've got nothing to show for it. But faith is persistent. It presses on. It worships. It refuses to bow to any other God and says, I don't know how it's all going to play out, but I'm not going to back down. God is going to see me through in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, somebody give God all the praise in this house. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless God. Mom, you may not see anything happening. And you may be going through the worst time in your life. But all I can tell you is that faith perseveres. It persists. Don't you dare give up. Jesus answered. And he said to her, oh woman. And again, that's a term of endearment. That was never meant. To be derogatory, says, oh woman, mega is your faith. You have mucho faith. I love that. I wish I was Spanish. <laughs> you imagine a Puerto Rican Kurt Kenny. That would be a... That's a 
You have mucho faith. Mega is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus. Mark actually records this too. I think it's in Mark chapter 7. But when mom got home, the daughter was in her right mind, completely healed. He says, woman, you have mega faith. You have a faith that perceives that I am the Lord and I can do all things. You have a faith that is purposed and passionate and determined and a faith that is persevered and it never has caved in and I am going to honor that faith. And her daughter was healed that same hour. Jesus, I just can't help but think all of those years of pain, of affliction, all those years of vexation were changed in one moment of time. Because a mom had mega faith in Jesus Christ, her Lord and Savior. Amen. I can't guarantee that everything is going to work out the way you want it to. But I can guarantee you that God is going to see you through no matter what the outcome Amen. is. In Amen. Jesus' mighty name. You stand fast and do not give up. You have a faith today that perceives that there is only one who can intervene. You have a faith that is purpose. You have a faith that is persistent. And I believe that God is going to make a way Amen. where there seems to be no other way. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Come on, give Him all the praise in this house. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. I'm going to ask all of you to stand to your feet with us here today. And would you just lift your hands up to your Savior and your Lord and thank Him for His goodness and His mercy. Come on, lift up your hands and your voices. Praise His great name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for your mercy. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Bless the Lord. I am going to ask every mom that is here today to just come and stand here at the front, and we're just going to have a word of prayer with all of our moms today. Bless the Lord. All of our moms. Would you welcome them again as they, they come here? All of our moms. Come and press right down here. Bless the Lord. Amen. Bless the Lord. Now I'll ask again. How many of you want to be a mega mom? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> You know, more, more takers that time around. You know. Praise God. You know, I'm going to ask, usually I try to have all the husbands and sons and daughters that are here to try to, we're just not going to be able to do that today. I think all of you can recognize that. But I would ask you if all of you would just stretch your hand out towards all of these precious moms, grandmoms, great-grandmoms, can you stretch your hand out toward them? And even before I pray, would you just pray? Lift up your voice and pray for every one of them. Pray for God's grace and for God's mercy to rest upon them in Jesus' name. Father, we just glorify you. We thank you, Lord. I thank you as a man that you looked down at man and said, it's not good for him to be alone. And instead of making us a buddy that we could have gotten in trouble with, <laughs> you gave us a wife. 
you gave us a wife that would one day become a mom. Lord, you, your plan is perfect. Your ways are right. And Lord, a lot of times we, we as men are too critical and judgmental of our wives because they are created differently. But Lord, their strengths complement our weaknesses. And that's why when we come together, we become one flesh and better for it in Jesus' name. And Lord, in, in a society today that is trying its best to give value and purpose to women, Lord, we turn to the Word of God where we find true and biblical femininity. Where we find biblical uh, womanhood. And I pray that our ladies would never, never, never be offended by the word that says submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. But may they understand that within that submission you will make a way where there seems to be no other way. So I pray that they would never allow a secular society to deter them from the biblical definition of being a woman. But they would be the woman that God intended them to be glorify you in all that they do we ask in Jesus mighty name and everyone said amen and amen give some love bless God you know we uh, we decided